0: A team that transcends time and space. It's the DigiGuys! And now, please welcome two men who don't fear old Georgie Wade Major and Mark Kaiser.
1: Georgie. Corey, who sent that in?
0: That was sent in by Kevin Lower, and I think that if Cloud Atlas had been as long as that reference, that intro, I'm gonna stick a fork in my (laughs) eye. It's like Corey's right here goofing with us.
1: (laughs) Oh, well, anyway. Um, Have you been, well, first of all, Beauty and the Beast uh, is making a just ghastly amount of money.
0: Well look, I I personally am very excited to see the live action version of a story about a a, a beautiful young girl yeah. who falls in love with a talking buffalo.
1: Uh-huh. That's the that's certainly been the uh the thing that's been yeah. It's 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 a, it's an old joke. Uh but uh you know, uh, honestly it's the most successful film ever to come out of uh, a gay film festival, isn't it? <laughs>
0: That's just you know what that pisses me off because <laughs> people will see now see now it's all freighted with meaning it's just you know it's, it's like
1: it, it, well it it's was, a
0: throwaway shot at the end uh, yes he, he definitely has a crush on Gaston look
1: look the thing is it would have been it would have gone right over the heads of ninety nine percent of the people watching it and certainly all the kids it, it had had Condon not can, like blown it up with that interview in the UK. It was a, and you know, he just he blew it. He said something he shouldn't have said. He made it more. He made it out to be more than it was. And then when he when he walked it back, now he made everybody in the gay community mad. Yeah, you know, so he he kind of pissed everybody off. He,
0: anyway. he actually he did piss everybody off because yeah. uh, this guy I know he 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 talked to uh, Josh Gad. Yeah. At the premiere, and Josh Gad had said, "Yeah, Condon really screwed us over."
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not going to hurt the film overall long term. It's uh, everyone still wants to see it, but.
0: I mean, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. fine. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think what bothered me the most, and it's it's, the movie's completely fine. What bothers me the most is, uh, Wade has a sippy cup today with training wheels because before we started recording, I gave him a cup of water and he spilled it all over the table.
1: That's what I do.
0: Which we've never, which has never happened before. All the years we've done the show. Yeah. The my only issue with the with the movie, maybe I'm expecting too much from Disney, which is generally a safe company, is that it doesn't really necess- it doesn't transcend the animated film it is just is the animated film
1: that's the problem with it is and and i said this uh, i was on uh, film week with Lael on friday <clears throat> and i said that it and we, she and i were pretty much in agreement on it that it is it's too it is too faithful to the animated film you kind of feel it's it's too unlike uh something like maleficent which um You know, found a different angle, a different approach, and was able to sort of free itself and develop its own identity. This one's just a little bit too, too uh, tied, beholden to being faithful to the original and emulating shots and lines and specific uh, moments. And it, uh, you know, that's you just feel the weight of that. And I kind of wish it had been more, a little bit more like the Christoph Gans film.
0: That's Let's not going to happen. Well, they, they want a bunch of ten year old girls in in in, in, in I uh, know. princess outfits. I know,
1: but the, but you know even still the the Christoph Gans film for those who didn't see it you know Christoph Gans who made uh, Brotherhood of the Wolf many years ago and has pretty been pretty much been non existent since. It's amazing. The guy's extremely talented. He did a version of Beauty and the Beast, a French language Beauty and the Beast last year, the first French language one since Cocteau, believe it or not. And um, is Lea Seydoux is fantastic as Belle. Um, uh, but uh, Vincent Cassell is not so great as The Beast, unfortunately. But uh, nonetheless, as soulless as that film is, it has everything that this one doesn't, which is costumes and art direction and CGI and all of that stuff is really through the roof in that film. And I just wish they could have gotten that kind of, you know, liberated themselves a little bit to explore that more. But whatever. Too much at stake. Too much at stake. So what I said on the radio was, it's not the film it could be, it's not the film it should be, but it's the film Disney needs it to be. And I think most people will thoroughly enjoy it. I do. Yeah. Uh, have you been watching uh, Iron Fist? No. Have you? Did you? Let me ask you this. I, I,
0: I've never watched any of those Netflix superhero um,
1: shows. So, no, shows. never seen Daredevil. Nope. Never seen Jessica Jones.
0: Yeah, keep going. Absolutely never no.
1: seen Luke Cage. No. Have you ever seen Netflix? Yes, I have oh, Netflix. I have okay. Netflix. I love Netflix. Right,
0: okay. But here's the thing is that with me, with Netflix, I tend to just get the DVDs because there are so many classic movies I want to watch or rewatch that Netflix has everything. But yeah. when it comes to streaming, as Netflix wants this yeah. to be, it's really just their original shows because the the, the the movies they stream are sure. not great. no. You know, yeah. y- yes, I can watch 17 Family Guys in a row, which, of course, to me is like heaven. <laughs> but um, yeah, right. you know, I, I what what were you about to say about the Netflix shows?
1: No, well, I was going to say, you know, it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, there, I, I I started off liking it, and then I started to really like it, and then it kind of started to really deteriorate. It's gotten really bad reviews, which I find odd because it's not a bad show. Uh, but I do feel the weight of. Of them wanting to sort of, uh, let's get it over with and let's get on to the Defenders miniseries.
0: Well, that's look, at some point, yeah. they had to have a stinker. Not yeah. every single solitary Netflix show is going to be but, good.
1: But, you know, you do, you do feel like that they, they already know the story they want to tell in the Defenders. Uh, they're going to dovetail from where it left off in Daredevil two into that. They're going to dovetail from where you know Luke Cage and Jessica Jones left off, and they have intertwined. You know, she he's a big figure in her in her show, uh, so it's almost like we've had a season and a half of Luke Cage. We should have had about two and a half seasons of Luke Cage, um, but it, it just does feel like they're, they 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 just want to get on to the Defenders. So everything in in uh, Iron Fist just feels kind of herky jerky. At this point. I'm i I'm only halfway through, but we'll see.
0: Uh at the end he dies. Oh man. It's terrible tragedy. All right.
1: So anyway. Uh we've got some uh listener mail today we're gonna try to get to. wow and
0: we have the listener mail in a million years. No,
1: gods at digigods.com. You know, what's gods wrong at digigods.com. Um we gotta well, you know, the holidays intervened and things got all whatever. So, uh, yeah, let me, uh, we're going to hit off some, we're going to lead off with some uh, Twilight Time. Let's do the new classic. Twilight Zone? Yeah, Twilight Time stuff. Really, really great Twilight Time oh, titles this month.
0: look, look, wait. I know,
1: I know. We'll get to it in a moment. We'll get to it in a moment. Oh. So, uh, first off, Twilight Time. Uh, we got four more titles this month from Twilight Time. TwilightTimeMovies.com is where you go to get these. Uh, Our Man in Havana. Just an absolute blast. It's dire- cool. It's a great movie, isn't it?
0: I I had I read the book and then after reading the book, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to see the movie. Yeah. And the movie, although the movie is not the book, the no, movie no. somehow has the spirit of Graham Greene. Well, it's in there somewhere. It's it's the spirit of Graham
1: Greene mixed with the the great direction of Carol Reed, who of course did The Third Man sure. and won his Oscar for Oliver, and uh, Alec Guinness, who's just great. I mean, you know, how do you not love Alec Guinness in anything?
0: That's kind Hearts and Cornets. He's he's amazing.
1: He's just he yeah, he's great in everything, everything he does. Uh, so Our Man in Havana from 1959, which is, uh, you know, a Graham Greene novel about a guy who's a vacuum cleaner salesman in Cuba and um, becomes a spy. And it's great. Noel Coward plays the uh, the guy who uh, recruits him. And it's just, it's, it's an awful lot of fun. And it's, you know, it's a pre- a pre-James Bond British spy escapade uh, that's just awful lot of fun and really, really great. And uh, it is beautiful, beautiful, beautiful on this Blu-ray. Twilight Time absolutely did right by it. And uh, I'd say that's pretty much the Twilight Time pick of the month. Uh, they also have given us a couple of other classics from the same general kind of era. Uh, one is the Schmaltzy Peyton Place which I've never been a big fan of. Uh, This is from 1957, which, of course, is, to me, the year of uh, Bridge on the River Kwai. But, uh, you know what, Peyton Place still has kind of a... It still has a thing. People still like it. Hope Lang is beautiful in it. Uh, She, of course, would go on to be uh, on uh, The Ghost of Mrs. Muir. And, um, most significantly, uh, Lana Turner just is really, really great in this thing. But it is schmaltzy. It is the original soap opera. It is... uh, it's where all that stuff originated, Dallas and Dynasty and you name it. So that's where all that stuff comes from. Uh, and Peyton, of course, the television series Peyton Place. So, uh, you know, but it's a nice Blu-ray if, you're, if, you're, if you are into that. And uh, I should point out as well that uh, you get uh, isolated music and effects track on uh, Our Man in Havana, which is the standard Twilight Time thing, and then loads of special features on Peyton Place: Audio commentary. With uh William Carroll Willard Carroll, film historian, which is fine. Um another audio commentary with uh Terry Moore and Russ Tamblin. Russ Tamblin's always good good to listen to, you know. Fun stuff. Russ Tamblin's just, you know, he's a legend, right? Twin Peaks.
0: He's Amber Tamblin's uh, brother.
1: And uh, yeah, dad. And uh, you know, of course, West Side Story. But Twin Peaks, Russ Tamblin. Uh, and then uh, there's a little uh, on-location um, audio commentary and some uh, you know newsreels and backstory stuff, and it's it's fun. It's it's one of the more loaded things that Twilight Time has done in a while. Uh, How to succeed in business without really trying? Also a really really fun film from 1967. Really a, a great sort of a 60s throwback cult film. Uh, really kind of a kind of a, a bit of a, a weird anachronism in in many respects as well but um still an awfully awfully fun film and uh kind of a moment of uh you know i mean it was originally a broadway musical right you ever seen the musical because they've revived it no, a few well, times no
0: matthew broderick started the revival i believe
1: right yeah it was, it was what was it 5 years
0: ago 6 years something like that something i didn't like that,
1: it. yeah which got really good notices, too. So anyway, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying really captures all that kind of 60s-era anxiety. Um, really, really great great work by Bob Fosse. Fun film. Uh, this has isolated music track, as per usual, and then uh, some kind of featurette stuff and, and a trailer. Um, really, that's, that's good. And then here's the one that sort of um, came out of the blue. I would never have expected Twilight Time to release Baby Boom. But you know what? It kind of is an interesting partner film with How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, if you think about it.
0: Um, I choose not to think about it.
1: Comes 20 years later during a very different kind of job anxiety moment. And, you know, women trying to be sort of have it all and be mothers and and professionals and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, late life babies and all that kind of stuff. Diane Keaton. Uh, this film doesn't really work This was one of the last of the Shire Myers films Before they um, they broke up And she went on to make Schmaltz And he tried to have a different career Which didn't really pan out um, She's had a much more successful career as a director, hasn't she?
0: Yeah, but she doesn't make good movies
1: uh, You know, I've liked a couple of them I've liked a
0: couple Was of that horrible um, Jack Nicholson thing she made?
1: Yeah, but, it, it, but uh, you know, for Like the, uh, the Alec Baldwin, Meryl Streep thing That I thought was fun Anyway you're, Which one was that? The, uh, what was it called? Uh, uh, just, no. a few, just about four or five years ago. My mother-in-law really enjoyed it. Anyway, uh, Sam Shepard, fantastic. Great score by Bill Conti, which you get in an isolated effects track as well. And uh, Julie Kirgo and Nick Redman do uh, typically wonderful work on the audio commentary. And um, you know what? It's funny, it's baby. Com-
0: it's complicated? That's
1: it. It's complicated.
0: Well, She directed The Intern.
1: Yeah, and The Intern was good, too. No, it was. Yeah, it was. There's no way.
0: It is. It's a fun With film. With De Niro? and
1: yeah. Yeah. It's only got one bad moment where they, you know, the whole break-in shtick, which was really just way, way too farcical. But anyway, uh, Baby Boom, I, uh, you know, it ages well. I'm shocked at how sort of relevant it still seems, maybe even more so now. So anyway, uh, that's all, uh, all good stuff from uh, Twilight Time. It's good, good, good month from Twilight Time. Great stuff.
0: Good month for uh, Criterion. What do we got? Well, we got two. Uh, we, got, we got one is one of my all-time favorite films. And then the other one is also a terrific film. This is um, Multiple Maniacs. This is John Waters' second film. And if you know John Waters, you know what you're getting into. When Lady Divine's cavalcated perversion rolls into town. <laughs> this is, I was just thinking, it probably took, it, it cost much more to restore this film than it cost to make it. Because John Waters' films, if you're familiar with them, are just super low-budget, high-contrast, cheap, black-and-white, trash-looking films. But that's John Waters, and he has been operating out of Baltimore for decades, and he is a great personality and a great guy and a great wit. Um, Sometimes I think that the idea of a John Waters film is better than actually sitting through a John Waters film. But Multiple Maniacs is absolutely bonkers. And you will see people here doing some crazy stuff. Not as crazy as Divine eating dog poop. Yeah. There's nothing as crazy as that. But uh, Multiple Maniacs, this was uh, the, uh, the special edition was uh, overseen by Waters himself. And we have – it's a new 4K, which is funny to like take a $1.98 black and white film and run it through 4K because you're not going to get much more out of that stock. Audio commentary, new one featuring Waters, new interviews with some of the crew. And it's great. Multiple Maniacs is just terrific. I, again, you might find yourself going, uh, you know, after 45 minutes thinking, yeah, I've had enough of this. I'll just skim through the rest. But uh, it's great. And I love John Waters. And I, uh, it's too bad he stopped making films because he's awesome. Then, one of my all time favorite films on Criterion, Being There. This has been on Blu ray before because I own it. And now I will soon own this one because Wade will give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> this is a story of uh, uh, Chance the Gardener, otherwise known as Chauncey Gardener. Yeah, and you know it's funny because Peter Sellers had always said that he is like a like he like has no personality. He's like a chameleon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was his thing. Yeah, and for somebody who claims that he has no personality and he's a yeah. chameleon, this is the perfect role. It is because the whole idea is it's 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 a movie about a, a guy who. He's basically just an idiot. Yeah. He's just a mentally slow person, but everything he says is misinterpreted <laughs> to have all this great meaning, and he winds up running his way through the political system in it, Washington. And it's funny because I I, I I hate to, I, I do see Trump parallels in this. <laughs> I do see Trump parallels in
1: this. Well, a lot of people have made that uh, made that point too, and uh, you know this it, was it's this a was, great film. Yeah, uh, the the fantastic Hal Ashby. Kind of, uh, you know, really hit his stride during this period, and especially with this movie. I mean, it's uh, it's just fabulous. I mean,
0: Hal Ashby had one of the great runs, like, in the did. 80s. I mean, in the 70s. 70s. Hal Ashby, I mean, look, you got, like, Harold and Maude and Shampoo and Bound for Glory and Coming Home. And this. And being there. Yeah. Then he kind of, like, flamed out. But, um, like, we don't need Hal Ashby doing The Slugger's Wife. No, we don't need that.
1: But gosh, he really had just a great run, and what a wonderful movie! Uh, it really is. Shirley MacLaine is so good in this, and you know, Jack Ward, Melvin Douglas—what what an amazing bunch of people! Anyway, well, that's uh,
0: it's a it's a it's a great great film, and it's so uh, it, everything right down to the to, it's to the welcome score criterion. is great. It's just it's so well done. I just this film is hilarious. It just sneaks up on you. It's got a, it's got a lot of relevance for today. Another great Blu-ray from Criterion. You guys got to get it. Peter Sell is, by the way, up for an Oscar for that performance. That's right. That was. And he lost to Dustin um, Hoffman. That's right. In uh, Kramer versus Kramer. That's right. Gosh.
1: Good memory. <laughs> All right. So a bunch of stuff from uh, Kino's Studio Classics line. Uh, really an interesting month here. Uh, these things, they, they, you know, I, I'm always curious to see what sh- sort of shows up. And there's never really, uh, I don't want to say there's no rhyme or reason to it because there is. But it's just, it's always an, an interesting surprise. Because uh, some of these movies I would never have expected to show up on Blu-ray, so I'm glad they are. And the first one is The Man Who Could Cheat Death, which is uh, w- truly one of the all-time great Christopher Lee performances. Uh, it's just he is so unbelievably good in it, and it, because it's so different from anything else that he normally would do, and yet at the same time it's kind of exactly what you would expect him to do. So, um, in any case, this is one. This is from the uh, the Hammer fer- period the uh the brightly colored 1959 late 50s era uh, Hammer films directed by Terence Fisher who of course was a a master of that entire uh that entire thing and the star of the film is Anton Defring um it's not i you know just want to make people, people understand peter uh, christopher lee is not the star of the film he's really great in it but uh anton Deffering is the uh, is the star and uh perfectly fine but really gets uh, overshadowed by Christopher lee Anyway, the idea here is that it is about a guy who could, in fact, cheat death, as the title so aptly points you in, and uh, it's, you know, it, it's an interesting psychological trip uh, more than anything else. It's not uh, about the shocks, it's not about the the macabre, it is really very much on, uh, about the, you know, if you were this person, if this happened to you, and I won't get into the details as to what happens and how it happens, but... Um, it kind of gets into Jekyll and Hyde territory. It's based on a play, and it, uh, it, it, it's much more preoccupied with the psychological aspects of the, uh, the, the blessing and the curse at hand. We also have Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing in director Freddie Francis's When the Skull Strikes, You'll Scream
0: the Skull. Wait, so the movie's called When the no, no. Skull the movie Strikes, You'll, strikes, you'll the mo- Scream no. the Skull? <laughs>
1: the movie is The Skull. The movie is The Skull, but <laughs> yeah. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm leading it in. I'm giving it a little dramatic lead in because that's the, that's the, the tagline. Flame. When the skull strikes, you'll scream. Uh, this is also a, uh, a, a Hammer film, and um, I don't know if it's one of the better ones, but it's, it, you know, anytime you put Cushing and Lee together in a film, uh, it's great. And uh, this is based on a short story by Robert Block, who not only wrote Psycho, but wrote Wolf in the Fold, the Star Ooh. Trek episode.
0: What? The Jack
1: the Ripper uh, Star Trek episode.
0: What? Yeah.
1: So, you know, people often forget that. The guy who wrote Psycho wrote a Star Trek episode. You realize that?
0: That's cool. Yeah.
1: So, uh, anyway, the uh, this is all about people who collect uh, kind of occult items, and the issue here is that uh, one of those items is the skull of the Marquis de Sade. And, uh, there are things that are attached to the skull that, that happen. And, uh, in any case, uh, Freddie Francis directed a lot of these kinds of films. He, of course, is better known as a great cinematographer of movies like, uh, like, uh, The Elephant Man. But, uh, really just, uh, great work here. And, uh, you know, the movie's chilling and it's got a great supporting cast, including Patrick McGee, who showed up in a lot of Kubrick films. So, um... That is The Skull. The Skull of the Marquis de Sade. And uh, we also have, kind of in the same general vein, we got a lot of really creepy ones here, Chamber of Horrors, which is uh, directed by Norman Lee, another very capable director who directed a lot of this kind of stuff. Uh, This is not a Hammer film. This is more in the uh, noir tradition, 1940. And uh, it is actually still really, really effective. This is... um, Based on the novel *The Door with Seven Locks* by Edgar Wallace, which I am not familiar with, but Edgar Wallace apparently is the guy who also wrote *King Kong*, the original *King Kong*.
0: Did he write an episode of *Star Trek*? No,
1: he did not. Did not write an episode of *Star Trek*. Uh, but anyway, it's a, you know, it's a haunted house kind of story, and it's very effectively done. I think this would probably be a good one for somebody to remake at some point. Um, we also have Bella Lugosi in *Invisible Ghost*. I am a huge fan of Bella Lugosi's non-Dracula stuff. And uh, this is from 1941. So Bela Lugosi is starting to look an awful lot like uh, Martin Landau uh, at this point. But uh, anyway, Joseph H. Lewis directed this with his usual noirish aplomb, and uh, Bela Lugosi overacts to the nth degree. But that's what he does. And uh, you know, it's all very kind of M-like and Fritz long ish and Fritz long inspired But it's uh it's a it's a good little chiller, good little black and white chiller. Um, Orson Welles in Compulsion, directed by Richard Fleischer. This is from 1959. Orson Welles is starting to get fat here, very fat. This is from his uh, his bloating period.
0: Speaking of bloating still, period, yeah. other side of the wind. What I know, right? Crazy. Holy cow! Well done, Netflix.
1: I know. I'm very happy.
0: That that's that that's gonna that's gonna get them a, a lot of deposits in the favor bank. Yeah, in it Hollywood, it sure will. You know, yeah. Bogdanovich is on board. You know, you know, Frank Marshall was the production manager on that movie. Was he really? Yes, and he's come back to help uh, restore it.
1: Holy And Bogdanovich cow. was in it. Cause I had no idea. Frank Marshall was a production manager. Isn't that crazy? Oh, that's wild. Wow. Well, anyway, um, the for those who don't know, Compulsion is based on the uh, the uh, 1924 uh, trial, Leopold and Loeb. Um which you know has its own sort of uh historical cultish currency i won't get into you know giving you the whole leopold and loeb thing uh but it it's it's very much you know a, one of those one of those moments that sort of leads into the world the global chaos of the nineteen thirties um and uh it, it's this is a this is really kind of a showcase for the actors involved uh dean stockwell e g Marshall uh orson wells everybody is just really really chewing the scenery here but in a very very good way film historian tim lucas does the audio commentary kind of uh positions everything in a very very intelligent way gives you all the backdrop that you need and uh you know what it's beautifully shot richard fleischer does great work uh it's just a, it's a really rock solid uh, 50s era studio film and then the last two uh we start with uh, another rock solid studio film a game of death directed by robert wise from 1945, as he was still being kind of a genre guy, just before he was able to really launch himself into uh, more top-tier flight uh, stuff. He was coming out, of, um, coming out of being an editor. You know, Robert Wise edited Citizen Kane. So this is the beginning of his career as a director, and he's, uh, he's cutting his teeth, and eventually he will become the guy who makes, you know, uh, West Side Story and The Sound of Music and Star Trek The Motion Picture. But uh, otherwise, here, this is a... Andromeda th- Strain, too. That's right. But otherwise, this is a pretty straightforward adaptation of The Most Dangerous Game, one of about a billion of them that have been done for, uh, in the movies. And I always think, you know, my favorite, and I've said this before on this podcast, my favorite adaptation of The Most Dangerous Game is when Rory Calhoun chases, uh, hunts Gilligan on Gilligan's Island. I still think that's the best adaptation. It was brutal. But this one is good.
0: Obviously, you know, the, the Gilligan, that was an emotional ringer. It was. I, it was. You, you need. You need time to come down from that. Uh, you do. Zone. You really do.
1: It was. Uh, it, wow. it just kind of put me over the top. And then, uh, completely from another uh, end of things, this is not necessarily studio classics, but this is also from Kino this month, and uh, a really, really welcome release: "A Great Wall," uh, directed by Peter Wang and produced by Shirley Sun. This is one of the one of the first. Uh, um, this was the first American film shot in China. That is its its distinction. But it, it there is something you know we, we, in this moment when everybody kind of talks about diversity, which I think is becoming a little bit too much of a cliche. But it remains an unfortunate fact that that Asian actors in Hollywood really, really just uh, are on the bottom of the totem and have a very, very hard time getting work, and uh, and, and very hard time with consistency of work. So this film from. Um, 1986 is really kind of a a a groundbreaker and it remains a groundbreaker today um the uh it's it was popular you know across the independent film landscape and deservedly so it's basically about a guy who uh is working as a computer programmer at a moment when that's not even really quite a thing and uh doesn't get a job so he moves to uh beijing at the time still called peking to uh live with his sister and uh it it's it it's just really really smart and funny and sensitive and uh the all the all the cultural stuff that they uh they throw in here it just feels absolutely honest and and heartfelt and uh it's a wonderful film it's a really really wonderful film Thirty years later, it still feels absolutely um, authentic, and it resonates. So, I'll I'll highly, highly recommend a great wall from 1986. Great film, well done, Peter Wang.
0: Wade, um, how are you? I'm good. Firestarter. Now, Firestarter. Here's the thing with Firestarter: (laughs) when when I was a a, one of the
1: touchstones for uh, for uh, uh, the Netflix show um, Stranger Things.
0: Yes, that's true. Very much so. There's actually a lot of movies that are the, were the touchstone for Stranger Things. Yeah. And, and a lot of them were, came from the 80s, like, you know, Poltergeist and Red Dawn and uh, Firestarter is one of them, maybe even Scanners, mm-hmm. Nightmare on Elm Street, like all these 80s films. And the thing was a great film. I'm yeah. sorry. The thing is awesome. But they're all these like mid budgeted films that that a very, very young Mark thought was really cool. But then if you watch them stay they're pretty stupid. And Firestarter is one of them. And it's based on a Stephen King book, because most films are based on a Stephen King book, especially that during that time. And uh, it's now out on a, a terrific new um, collector's edition uh, Blu-ray from the good people at uh, Screen Factory. They dug up Mark Lester, who's still around. He directed the film. He provides a new audio commentary and uh, is seen in interviews. And uh, I think this is more of a nostalgia piece than anything else, because really, when you, when you, when you think of thrillers, right, uh-huh. you, you can see George C. Scott. Starring in a thriller, right? And George e. Scott is in this film. Sure, but when I think of thrillers, yes. you know who I don't think of? Art Carney. Art Carney's in this film.
1: Really? You know what? i would totally forgotten that. I have a vague recollection of that.
0: Art Carney in this film, and uh, that does not uh, that does not no. smell thriller to me. Anyway, that's something that your your, your parents would, uh, would 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 get a <laughs> smile sounds- out of. Next, we have uh, uh, two of the worst sequels ever made. We Man. have RoboCop 2. Here's the thing with RoboCop 2. I hate RoboCop, RoboCop 2 isn't just a bad movie, but it, it it also features one of the worst scores in the it history does. of the world. Leonard Rosenman, mm. who has done good I don't really like him. He has done good scores in the past, was inexplicably nominated for an Oscar for Star Trek 4. Yeah. He does the Now wait, would you like me to sing the theme to you RoboCop You know Leonard 2? Rosenman
1: won an Oscar for Barry Lyndon. I know. Would you, <laughs> it's an adapted he, score, but still
0: would you like me to sing the uh, RoboCop two theme song? Go ahead. RoboCop, remember that there yeah. were vocals yeah. where they would go RoboCop, it's the worst. like he was like Superman or something. The worst. It's just a terrible film. And by the way, speaking of terrible films, even worse is RoboCop three. Now RoboCop three, where Peter Weller just dumps the Peter Weller's is long gone. He's been replaced by another actor. Yeah. RoboCop three is like the RoboCop series in its Superman for the quest for peace it's, phase. It's f- it has thoroughly <laughs>
1: jumped the shark at this point. <laughs>
0: It, this is like the, the this is like the canon version. So
1: so here's the here's the story. So um the, the after the first Robocop hit, um the writers uh Ed Neumeyer and uh, uh,
0: uh, uh, Yeah. I know really anyway. the answer
1: to that. So the anyway, the original Robocop writers who are brilliant, uh, Ed Neumeyer and I'm forgetting. Uh, Michael, Minor. Michael Minor. Michael Miner. So they they go in to pitch the sequel. And everybody's on board, right? I mean, my understanding was Verhoeven's on board. Peter Weller's on board. The original team, we're going to get the original Basil Polidora score. I mean, it's like everybody's on board. We're here. We're, we're, we're Robocopping it up again. Everybody wants the same team on board. And they come in, and they say, okay, here's the pitch. Um, we start off right after the first film. Robocop gets a call. He goes. He goes to the call. And it's an ambush. And they kill Robocop dead. Go to black. Come in. 20 years later. And at that point as i understand it uh, it was pretty much yeah um meetings over goodbye and everybody was done and the studio just just went their own direction and nobody came back. Now that sounds like a great thing to me because you're not rehashing the same thing all over again. You're going into a completely weird and unpredictable direction.
0: But uh, but hang on but they would they would have killed Robocop and replaced him with another. I don't actor know. I don't know. RoboCop two or
1: I have that? no idea. I don't know. All I know is that's an interesting way to start. That's where I wanted it to go. Good job. So, anyway.
0: Um, next, we have a, uh, a comedy that should have been funnier, yet wasn't. This is uh, the great Mike Nichols, who uh, died recently. He, um, he's he got What Planet Are You From with Gary Shanley. Now, to me, one of the cells of the film was that Gary Shanley, you know, his television shows were just. Mount Rushmore good but his movie career never really took off and I think people were hoping that um what planet are you from would be kind of launching off that he needed I also remembered because um the film came out in um what's this film um came out in the 90s I believe and it was when I was hanging out with Greg Kinnear and Greg Kinnear was in the film and um yeah those came out in 2000 so technically it is the 90s um yeah. So anyway, this film is about as funny as Gary Shandling and Mike Nichols can be when they're kind of phoning it in.
1: Yeah, I agree. You know, I enjoyed this film. I, it's but
0: fine. I don't know that it really holds up to any particular degree.
1: Well, it's got the the the, the vibrating penis gag in it, which is cute um but that was sort of <laughs> that was the thing that it had going at the time and see
0: I, I i i can, like here's the thing if you're doing a movie about a guy like a, a guy who comes from like this planet of all men who has to save yeah. his planet by procreating i could see like woody allen yeah in his funny years yeah like taking like almost taking one of the vignettes of everything you always want to know about yeah. sex and turning it into this film yeah i could see that being hilarious
1: isn't it interesting? Gary Shandling was once the uh, one of the serious go-to guys for late-night comedy. He was a regular Johnny Carson stand-in, and more so than Jay Leno at a certain point. And um,
0: where's he gone? And then, and then he he wound up doing uh, two really good shows, great shows.
1: But um, where's he been?
0: Gary Shandling? Yeah, um, he's dead. Is he? <laughs> Is this a joke? No. Coming?
1: No, I, I, I mean... I'm, w- I'm waiting for the punchline. <laughs> uh, there isn't one. No, I mean, wh- what I mean is, you know, his, his career... I mean, I, he, what was it, about three years ago he passed?
0: Oh, three oh years? really? I wonder. No, it can't be that long. There's no way. Please tell me it's not that long. Please tell me time doesn't go that fast. It's, it's been three years since Gary Schelling died.
1: He really kind of fell off the map.
0: He died last year.
1: Was it last year? Yeah. All right, there it is. Feels like three years. Uh, but you what know he, what? He did he kind d- of fall off the map. For about, I about mean, ten years.
0: Yeah, you know, again, the movie career didn't w- – look, he died when he was 66, so – but the movie career didn't yeah. work out. You know, TV kind of passed him by, although I could definitely see like at some point a Netflix or an Amazon giving mm. him a show. Yeah. Um, and he didn't really want to do stand-up again necessarily, so it's kind of like, you know, what do you what do? you do? He showed up in um, – it was a very odd m- kind of like extended cameo. He showed up in uh, Winter Soldier, the Captain yeah. America film. Yeah. Um, and he did do a voice in Jungle Book, but other than that, Yeah. He's kind of like not retired, but I think he was just sort of like, you know, he was one of those old, he became like an old legacy comic. Yeah. You know, who had to be appreciated by young directors who knew him and and loved him from his earlier work. Yeah. But he was great.
1: So um, here's an interesting. Now we've got some uh, Warner Archive stuff and a really, really, really. N- interesting, fascinating, dark, macabre story. Uh, one of the more interesting studio films from the period. A Woman's Face. A Woman's Face is is like one of the darkest things that uh, Joan Crawford ever did. Certainly might be the darkest thing George Cooker ever directed. Uh, this, is, this is a deeply disturbing movie. It's based on a, on a Swedish film, apparently, which I have never seen. And which was uh, a part that was originated by uh, Ingrid Bergman. And I would love to see that. Uh, a woman's face is um, – I- I- how do we put this? Joan Crawford is a woman who is so mutilated that to win the affection of the man she loves, she goes through just endless surgeries and emerges looking like Joan Crawford, uh, at which point uh, the man then tries to get her to uh, do, him, do him another favor, which is murder a little boy so that he can inherit all the boy's money. Cool. Uh, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty dark film, but very very effective. Um, and I believe it's bl- based on a French play. So a French play became a Swedish movie, became a, uh, an American noir. You very know what cool. I find?
0: You know what I find consistently fascinating about George Cooker? Huh? He didn't direct two of the greatest films ever made. He kind of directed Wizard True. of Oz, then then yeah. got fired and was yeah. replaced by Victor Fleming. Then he kind of directed uh, Gone with the Wind and got fired, replaced by Victor Fleming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: He was he was the, he was a go to guy back there, but you know what? He eventually did My Fair Lady, and that redeemed everything.
0: And the Philadelphia Story.
1: And uh, the uh, what was the thing with Jacqueline Bisset and uh, Stars Born? And
0: uh, Jacqueline Bissett. Yeah, it was his last film. Richard Famous.
1: Yeah, Richard Famous.
0: Looking like Nick Nolte or something? Yeah, something like that. Is that Nick Nolte?
1: And then we also have Joan Crawford in Flamingo Road, which became a uh, television series many decades later, starring uh, Morgan uh, uh, Fairchild. Uh, which is how I got introduced to the story, and uh, surprise of surprises to find out that there you know when you're a kid you, you're like really Morgan Fairchild that that was a movie and it didn't have Morgan how do you do Flamingo Road without Morgan Fairchild well you do it with Joan Crawford and uh, it's it's pretty good uh, Michael Curtiz of Casablanca fame directed this and it's uh, you know this is this is Joan Crawford kind of doing something she probably shouldn't do but if you like joan crawford you'll enjoy it just the same it is uh you know it's she plays the the usual thing that she does which is you know she's she's caught up in these situations and uh it's all kind of southern politics and uh sydney green street plays the you know the thing that he usually does which is the uh, the, 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 the yeah the fat crooked guy uh you know he's, he's like the political boss of this town it's I mean, it's fine. It's, it's, it's. Uh, we already talked about Peyton Place. It's still one of those kinds of things, but I mean, it's a Joan Crawford vehicle. It's all it's meant to be. We also have three Warner Archive Blu rays. I'll go through these really quickly. The first one is Finian's Rainbow, which is a ridiculous movie starring an older Fred Astaire. Uh, it, it, it truly just a, a very weird movie the uh, it was came way too way too late in its own kind of pop culture uh, trajectory uh, in 1947. This thing had been a Broadway hit and uh, then it was turned into a movie in the late 60s by no less than a, a spy and aspiring director named Francis Coppola who really shouldn't be doing this kind of movie. It's just it's it's very weird. You know, a young Francis Coppola, an aging Fred Astaire, a, a, an old Broadway musical pla- – or an old Broadway show past its prime with some peculiar songs, and, and Fred Astaire, you know, trying to keep a pot of gold away from a leprechaun. The whole thing doesn't really have the charm that I think they wanted it to have. Uh, Petula, but Petula – I always mess her name up. I always want to say Petunia. Petula Clark is lovely. That's one thing I will say about this. And uh, Coppola, of course, would go on to be the guy that uh, co-wrote Patton and then did, you know, Godfather 1 and 2 and – conversation in apocalypse now and thank goodness he redeemed redeemed himself uh blake edwards who had a great career for a long time uh, made sob uh as a kind of uh in the early 80s as kind of a his his stab at hollywood i um i watched this and i'm just not sure it really holds up um a lot of this just really, really is evocative of Hollywood in the 1980s. Uh, Mark, I don't know. How, have you watched SOB again lately?
0: I, I just remember SOB as being this this out there crazy comedy where like Julie Andrews yeah. at the end, you know, who's married to Blake Edwards, you know, flips out and shows her boobs. And like that was the big, oh, my I God, know, I cannot w- believe that Mary Poppins is doing that. This yeah. is just outrageous comedy that's at its most cover your eyes.
1: Yeah, that's sort of uh, that's is, kind of
0: all the, really the movie has to offer.
1: It's really all it has to offer. Uh, it, it's it's it, it's um you know Richard Mulligan plays a a, a film director with a spotty career, and uh, you, you sort of pull in all of the usual Hollywood tropes and surround him with this chaos and this. It's really supposed to be a big stab in the heart to Hollywood, but uh, honestly, watching it again, I just kind of feel like it's it does it belongs in its period. It doesn't really. Doesn't really transcend the '80s.
0: Well, it doesn't have much to say about it. Doesn't today?
1: No, it it's doesn't. Issue. It
0: feels a little anachronistic. Funny. Yeah. Like some of the individual lines are cute, and the energy is fun. It's Blake yeah. Edwards, so there'll be a lot of energy. Yeah. But uh, it's funny how like the energy of a film like that compares to the energy of a film today. Like nowadays, when, when you watch like even a movie that's even a movie that's as fast cut as, as like Airplane or whatever, it, it, as funny as Airplane is and will always be, even that seems slow by today's standards.
1: Here's a here's a here's a uh, Warner Archive Blu-ray that I thought was really a lot of fun. Uh, the old Val Guest uh, exploitation classic, "When Dinosaurs Ruled the Earth." What I the first thing I love about this is the artwork, the, the cover artwork. You know why? Because well,
0: it looks like uh, the Barbarella. That well, that's
1: it. They they all had so. I mean, basically, it's the exact same artwork from uh, a Million Years B.C." the uh, Raquel Welch film. It's exact, pretty much the exact same artwork, mm-hmm. same pose, the whole thing. So uh you know that was a thing at the time but uh Valgast is always good for a uh, good for a blast and these are uh, uh you know these are these this is the follow up to 1 million uh years BC from uh, from Hammer and it uh is kind of doing sort of um sort of kind of the same thing a little bit I guess uh the Victoria Vetri is the star never heard of her before haven't heard of her since um and it's just it's kind of more of the same but it's still it's kitschy and it's fun and it's uh you know it's very much of its era and here's the interesting thing do you know who wrote the story the original story that this is based on
0: Uh I believe Ernest Hemingway
1: I'll give you a hint There's a Spielberg movie based on his writing
0: as well uh-huh. There's a Spielberg movie based on his so, writing Oscar Schindler He made a list J.G. Ballard <laughs> I I would never that would that I know. That, that that's deep in the canon right there.
1: Isn't that? How about that? Crazy.
0: How about that? Crazy things. This is Bob Hope. <laughs> <laughs> this is that 9-11. How about that? This is Bob Hope.
1: All Um and uh let me blow through these. I got, some, uh, I got some Olive titles here.
0: Oh, Wade, why did you have to give me this one today? I know, okay. I know. Come because on. Because it's sad, right? I know. It well, is sad.
1: Yeah, it, the timing of that release is, it could not have been worse. Um, so we, we got a bunch of great stuff from Olive, too. Olive has, uh, has, a, has a, 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 just some really, really interesting stuff that you would never have thought uh, would ever wind up on Blu-ray, and it's all really good. Mark talked about Art Carney earlier. This is more of an Art Carney movie. Juan Ton, the, the Dog Who named Hollywood. The Dog Who yes! saved Hollywood. You awesome. love this. This is a very funny film. This is a really, really, really funny film from 1975. Uh, it's. It, I had thought this was completely forgotten. I actually saw this as a kid, and I really thoroughly enjoyed it. Directed by Michael Winner.
0: Come on, uh, it's
1: such a such a '70s thing. Wait,
0: Michael wait, So you're saying the Michael Winner, the guy who directed the Death Wish. Yeah, exactly. Also directed one. He Tons did. Tons did did he directed he One Ton The
1: Dog Who Saved Hollywood? This is all about the cast, to be honest. This is just all about people who show up in this movie who are all absolutely riotously wonderful and funny. Especially Phil Silvers, who just can do no no wrong. A young Terry Gar from her uh, her. Uh, Young Frankenstein era, uh, Bruce Dern, Art Carney, Madeline Kahn, Ron Liebman, who I always thoroughly enjoy. And most importantly, you know who wrote the score for this thing?
0: Oh, I believe it was um, Tchaikovsky.
1: Uh, Neil Hefty. Batman.
0: Batman. Batman. Hefty. Batman. Right. Batman. Come on. It's great. Sweet. Yeah.
1: Tons and tons of other great comedies in here, too. I mean, everybody from Ricardo Montalban to Zsa, Zsa Gabor and Sid Charisse. I mean, the cameos are just through the roof, and it's so much fun. Uh, you really, really have a lot. Uh, look, it's about a it, it's t- it takes place in the silent era, and um, it's about a dog who saved Hollywood. Come on, it's fantastic. It's really a lot of fun. Uh, this,
0: this is back when, like you know, they were making Benji movies, and Lassie was still in in, in the mix, and
1: uh... yeah. But it's also kind of from the uh, from the, the the Cannonball Run moment where it, it, you have to pile as many people as you possibly can into a movie. It's great. A uh, really fascinating uh, blast from the uh, the the early days of the sound era is The Cardinal from 1936. Uh, this is a really, really uh, great film for the period, which is uh, – it's kind of a – it's court intrigue from the 16th century. And uh, it's based on the story of the Medicis, who, of course, were the rulers of Florence at the time of uh, Leonardo da Vinci. And uh, it's really, really interesting. Uh, directed by Sinclair Hill – a director I am completely unfamiliar with. But uh, this is a nice little uh, resurrection and uh, great discovery. So um, that's a cool, cool little black and white gem. We also have uh, Phaedra, starring a, with a great performance by uh, Anthony Perkins, directed by Jules Dassin, who, of course, does, you know, or Dassin, did lots of uh, great he films. This is very much in the, in the uh, early 60s uh, vein. It is, of course, based on uh, the, the, uh, the play by Euripides but it's a it's a more contemporized version of it and uh it's really really cool. It's beautifully shot. It's a, it's a sharp movie. And uh we also have Blast Off uh which is I mean I I haven't even thought of this in a million years. I saw this as in a, in a, when I was a kid in a revival. This was originally made in 1967. I think it was re-released about in 73 or 74, something like that. Um totally weird Strange movie from the uh, those ama- from the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and those amazing men in their flying machines and it was it's, it was kind of one of those things, um, based on Jules Verne obviously. So it has that steampunk cred, and it, it really kind of came at a moment when everybody wanted just all kinds of contraptions on the screen. Everybody wanted all kinds of retro steampunky contraptions in the late sixties.
0: Jules Verne, this one too. I know the Soldier and the Lady also based on Jules Verne.
1: Yeah. So I will I will turn that over to you in just a moment but anyway this is uh you know it basically distinguished only because it has burr live's in it and uh it it deals with you know it's kind of a fictionalized story around the uh the ex- exploits of PT Barnum and uh it's it, it Kind of weaves in, you know, trip to the moon, and it's it's a it's an odd movie. Um, my favorite part of this is that it has Terry Thomas in it, and I always love Terry Thomas. So blast off, a nice little uh, strange one from the late sixties, and then lastly, um, a movie that still really resonates from the uh, the teen delinquent period. This is The Delinquents, and the reason The Delinquents is significant is because it was written and directed in nineteen fifty seven by no less then a young filmmaker coming out of documentaries, making his very first feature by the name of Robert Altman. Never heard of him. I know he he went on to have kind of a kind of a, to be sort of a thing.
0: Mid- middling up yeah. and down. Yeah, he made
1: a movie called Mush, I think. And then he made another one yeah, called. Yeah, uh, when
0: when when uh, yeah, I, I remember the theme song. It was called uh, When Killing Yourself Hurts a Lot.
1: Yeah, and he, he made a movie called Knoxville, uh-huh. I think. All right? right? That. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Uh, anyway, uh, it's it, to be honest, it's not a really good movie, um, but it's an interesting film and it's significant because it's Altman doing his first his first narrative feature after a you know a lot of uh, industrials and documentaries, and uh, he did tons of industrials. Anyway, he's got a thing, you know, he's really kind of flexing his uh, his muscles, and it's a little bit like watching uh, Fear and Desire, you know, with Kubrick. You, you're you're it's not. It's not a guy fully in command of his faculties and his skills, but it's you're getting there. So uh, the delinquents on Blu-ray, Robert Altman's first film, Bravo Olive. Thank you for digging that one up.
0: Well, thank you, Roz. Anyway, when comedy was king is a, uh, it's, a it's on DVD. It's an old documentary from 1960, and um, I like this. This is good. I I, I have a definite soft spot for um, silent comedy. Big fan of um, Buster Keaton. Pretty much the big three: Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin, and Harold Lloyd. Um, this one is uh, it more about Keystone Cops and Max Sennett and Fatty Ar- Arbuckle, Harry Langdon. So they do give some time to lesser-known uh, silent comedy stars. So that's kind of a good education. So I like this thing. When comedy was king, it's on DVD, not uh Blu-ray. There is a uh, there's a commentary. There's a, there's a couple of silent shorts that they threw in there. Um, which is kind of – which is a nice thing. So if you're into uh, silent comedy, you uh, can't do much uh, better than when comedy was king from uh, 1960. Also, Wade mentioned Jules Verne. We also have from Jules Verne uh, The Soldier and the Lady. This is a film from 1937. This is an American film, although it's all about uh, how um, – uh, you know the, this guy who's a courier to the czar, he's got to – he has to deliver information to, uh, to Russian troops. Uh, on the front in Siberia, so this is something where i mean you 've got to either be a huge Jul- Jules Verne fan or a huge Ward Bond fan to really pick this up. This is r- like deep deep catalog stuff, although it 's a good i uh, 'm glad that i 'm um, glad this is being resurrected, if nothing else for historical purposes. Uh, also, we talked earlier how sad we were of the timing that Joe Gotti uh, that go Johnny Go Johnny Go would be released on dVD finally a terrifically fun film. Uh, who has on its cover and also in its uh, in the film is uh, Chuck Berry. Chuck Berry, uh, as you listen to this, Chuck Berry uh, died a couple days ago. Uh, he S- is one of the so um, sad creators of rock and roll. He died yeah. age uh, ninety. Ninety.
1: And 90. Good and long he, uh, life. He,
0: he was supposed to release his first album in like thirty years this oh, year. Oh, really?
1: Yeah. They'll re- they'll release it. they
0: Oh, they'll oh, yeah. definitely release it.
1: Oh man, that'll do well.
0: So um, you know, uh, Chuck Berry was such an influence in the early days of rock and roll. And all these guys, like Chuck Berry, they were the ones who inspired the Rolling Stones. Ask your parents. Um, they ins- inspired the Rolling In fact, the Rolling Stones released a statement. As a band and individually, they all released statements when Chuck Berry died a couple of days ago. Anyway, um, Joe Goni- uh, Go, Johnny Go is a rock and roll film, stars Alan Freed. If you don't know Alan Freed, he was a disc jockey and a great disc jockey. In fact, if you've ever seen the terrific film American Hot Wax, that is based on the life of Alan Freed. He had kind of a tragic life. Um, so Alan Freed is the talent scout, and he's uh, searching for you know uh, the brand-new king of rock and roll. So you've got Alan Freed, you've got Chuck Berry, Richie Valens is in this, um, Jackie Wilson is in this, the Cadillacs, the Flamingos, a lot of great bands and artists from the time. Jackie Wilson, did I say Jackie Wilson? Mm. Um, so yeah, so Go, Johnny Go is not only a great piece of history with Alan Freed, one of the great DJs of all time, also it features uh, Richie Valens and also Chuck Berry, and it's a great uh, tribute to uh, the talent of uh, Mr. Barry. So definitely check out if you can. It's on uh, DVD. Go, Johnny, go. A lot of great music. And uh, yeah, it's a good film.
1: Uh, we got a couple from Milestone here that are, this is, this is kind of a historic moment, uh, a really historic moment. Samuel Beckett made a movie, believe it or not. Samuel Beckett actually made a movie uh, called Film. And uh, <laughs> it's, it, it, appropriately enough, and uh this is from the from 1964 uh and it stars Buster Keaton and it is effectively a silent film at least it has no dialogue and uh it uh, it is a strange weird typically beckettian very buster keatony uh, it's just an odd it's a it's a really weird just precious piece of film history, and you have to see it to really understand it and believe it. It is uh, it is just one of those films that people just go, have you ever seen film? And most people say, no, now you can. It's on Blu-ray from Milestone. It was totally, completely restored by uh, archivist Ross Lipman, who, by the way, also made his own film. And that is also out. It's called Not Film. He was so obsessed by the film, the Beckett Keaton collaboration, that he continued to do research into it and wound up making a documentary about it and the making of it. And it's equally as interesting as film. So you have film and not film, both on Blu ray from Milestone. And the most interesting thing that you find out in not film, because our good friend Leonard Malton is interviewed in it, Malton was on the set when he was 14.
0: A, a film?
1: A film. Malton was on the set. He he was He saw. Beckett directing Keaton.
0: That is bizarre.
1: Leonard did. I have to ask him about that next time I see him.
0: Somehow I believe that. It's crazy, right? You, what, what's funny about Leonard is that, obviously, not that he's like just the nicest guy in the world, but also that you look at Leonard and you think, oh, he's like a TV, uh, he's like a, a, a film critic who's known for those TV shows and those crazy books. But you know what? He has a huge, huge, huge life and career in the Oh, love it's, a, it's the unbelievable. Film. I mean, he's not yeah. just like some, you know, just some TV guy. Yeah. Some guy who just does reviews on TV. He's yeah. like an actual – he is as close as we have True. to like a historian. He's a oh, real he deal. He's almost like the Neil deGrasse Tyson. Like You know like Neil deGrasse Tyson? is yeah. He's almost like the, the – the, he's like the, the approachable TV face of yes. astronomy and science. Yes, Leonard Malton is like is that. Is that
1: guy for movies?
0: Absolutely. Okay. Now you're looking at me as if you think that you, you think that analogy is worthless no. or spot on. I
1: think it's spot on. Okay, I, I think, think it's absolutely spot on. I Leonard Malton is the lying. Neil deGrasse Tyson of movies. I think you're lying. Yep. There we are. We have we have now put a fine point on it. Uh,
0: what, what, uh, what? How many more movies do
1: we have to do? We're just the new movies. We got new movies. I We're like doing that new that movies.
0: Fine. Knock them out. Um,
1: a lot know. of stuff from the holiday season finally creeping out
0: now. So uh passengers with uh, jennifer lawrence and chris pratt is a bad movie and it's a bad movie because uh um, You think this is a bad movie? I, you know what? It's if 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 our direction and 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 A-list stars staring at each other for 2 hours was everything, it would be fantastic. See, I I
1: enjoyed this from until it kind of goes off the rails.
0: I did feel like it went off the rails. Uh you know what? I I the setup is fine. Yeah. You know, you when he's when he
1: when he gets when he turns into a caveman and starts walking around the the whole ship naked, that's when I just thought, I'm sorry, if even if you were the only person in space for you know years and years and years, take care of yourself, man. Hygiene still matters.
0: No, you saw the end of Sunshine, the Danny Boyle film Sunshine, yeah. which by the way I, I I I defend. Yeah, I like that. I know. Uh, you know the the crazy man who was like yeah. alone on the spaceship yeah. for years and years. He comes back, he's like this old naked and just burned from <laughs> head to toe. He's a <laughs> monster <laughs> now. Yeah. You know, just out of loneliness and pain yeah, and whatever. Okay. It's awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the, it's a nice Blu-ray. It looks great. There's deleted scenes on it. And uh, they did a thing on the visual effects. It's very, you know what, the the visuals are terrific. It's got that, you know, that very cool, modern, white aesthetic that you would imagine in futuristic spaceships. Although, really, when you think about it, futuristic spaceships will look like the ship in Alien. They'll look like the Nostromo. They will, will not look like this film. That's true. But, um, you know, it, it, com- it completely lives and dies on, the, uh, on its stars. Chris Pratt can hold the screen, you know. He's in uh, much of the movie by himself. And, of course, Jennifer Lawrence is Jennifer Lawrence. I, I, I just think this thing just – it never really took off, I think, in the way that, that, that it was hoping. So looks great. Two A-list stars. It's fine for Saturday night rental, but don't expect much from uh, passengers. Also, Live by Night is a film that um, – that, you know, they desperately try to foist this on us during awards time. As if somehow didn't work. we were gonna think this is like you know like the new Godfather or the new Untouchables yeah, or something. It really didn't work. It didn't work. You know, Live by Night is look Ben Affleck as a director. It's funny how Ben Affleck and we've uh, talked about I how think, his reputation has been yeah. uh, as he's been in rehab again. But he's in re—he just left rehab. I know this is I wouldn't be. He just left rehab again. Yeah. Um But it was it was inevitable that he was gonna have a stinker, and this is the stinker, and it's okay because you know what. I think ultimately this will be forgotten, and people will remember the fact that he directed an Oscar-winning best film. Yeah, he directed a he directed that terrific Dennis Learyna uh, um, oh, adaptation. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I mean, he's a good director, and it's really all. He, the, I'd rather see him direct than act.
1: He, I and he should not direct. He should not act in his own movies. No.
0: Yeah, which is one reason why he g- gave up Batman. Yeah. Um, I agree. Huh. I agree. I um, I would like to say uh, if 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 Jessica Chastain is um, listening to this uh, uh, podcast, I would just like to reiterate. Um, I would like to reiterate uh, my uh, desire to marry her because <laughs> I think <laughs> she is just completely beautiful D- and delicious. Awesome. Ah, she she just turned forty. Did
1: she really? Don't
0: care. It's best ever. Oh, I love
1: her. I agree. My goodness, she's forty. Uh,
0: yes. Really? Ah, she's just, wow. I think she's smart and beautiful and gorgeous. Oh,
1: had no idea she was I funny. actually
0: love her enough that I'm willing to sit through Miss Sloane, mm-hmm. which is a uh, pretty good—it's uh, a pretty good dramatic thriller. I, I, I think this is one of those things too, where where I think everybody was expecting a little bit more like award season love for it. You know, uh, uh, she plays a, a lobbyist in D.C. and she—it's it's almost like a Michael Clayton type yeah. thing, right?
1: Yeah, it's like a—it's le- like a female Michael Clayton. Like a
0: female Michael Clayton. She's, she's really
1: good. She's really good in it. The the movie itself is uh, kind of misses the mark a little.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I I think it's a little too mainstream as a political drama. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think it really makes those tough choices. It's a—it's a little bit too, uh, you know, it's like. Sometimes, like with these movies, you really want to kind of dig down and say some important things, and I feel like this movie is just a little too mainstream, you know? I I mean, it's it's fine as a mainstream thriller, but it's a little bit forced, and there's a plot twist kind of towards the end that I didn't really buy, and uh, I mean, it's fine, but uh, I, I was hoping for something better.
1: And uh, we also have the. Uh, speaking of award season, this thing was up for all kinds of awards. Uh, somehow didn't get nominated for any of them. But I really, I think uh, *Assassin's Creed* should have at least gotten uh, nominations for, you know, Jeremy Irons. And, right? No, maybe not. Okay, so Michael Fassbender. How, how
0: good was uh, how good was Ray Fiennes? I don't know why I just said Ray Fiennes. Did you see that movie? Um, I, I saw it on a plane. Huh. Did you see the movie *A Bigger Splash*? Yeah, it's good. It's, it's good. Great. Yeah. Where'd that movie come from? I know it How didn't. How could Ray Fiennes have not been up for an Oscar for that movie? Uh, you know I mean, what? Because he was because just they a force of nature.
1: That, that had, did not have a a great campaign behind it. They didn't really push it's that the way they should have.
0: I just, come on.
1: Yeah, I know. It's it, great. It
0: was good. I don't know why I just flash on Ray Fiennes. You, you, know, p- you know what? Because you said Jeremy Irons. And the two are like the same to me.
1: Yeah, they are kind of. Except they're, you know, 20 years apart in age. <laughs> Okay, so so Michael Fassbender uh, stars in this really horrible, ill-begotten adaptation of a video game that never should have been anywhere close to being a movie. Uh, the the whole premise is ridiculous. That it, it, it they they plug him into a machine, and then you go inside his brain, and you find out there's some collective memory about an ancestor who belonged to a, a you know a, a group of assassins. It's honestly that this movie makes no sense. It has next to no discernible plot. And in a di- it's got a you know bunch of extras, they, you know, whatever. If you're but
0: Michael Fassbender, why would you do this movie? Uh, you no, know, uh, you you're Oscar money. Bo- Boat payments, yeah, as you've often like said.
1: Here, look. This has absolutely the dumbest. Pr- you know, they, they'll always put a little sticker on the on the on the packaging, right? That'll be uh, you know like uh, five hours worth of uh, outtakes inside. Some little. Pl- this has the worst one ever put on the packaging of anything. Achieve 100% synchronization with over 90 minutes of extras. Really? What does that, what it, does that mean? It's, it refers in the movie. Like, they're assuming that there are so many people Let that are so that. hooked into that. the movie and the game that that will really, they'll, be, they'll, they'll just, they won't be able to resist that. Somebody cook that up. Somebody achieve in
0: the market. 100% synchronization? Someone so in the
1: I, marketing department cooked that up.
0: I guess they thought, oh my God, a bunch of 16 year olds will think that's just awesome. Whatever. You know what? It's just, I, I can't, don't these people realize that, that video game adaptations suck? I mean, why is this movie Go good?
1: I, you know, I don't
0: know. I just so uh,
1: um, here's here's uh, here's a couple interesting ones. So, a Walmart exclusive, uh, as we come into the uh, the Easter season, the Gospel of Mark, uh, the first ever word for word unedited movie adaptation. Okay, so some years ago, some Canadian filmmakers made the Gospel of John, which came out kind of, sort of, roughly around the same time as it is the, uh, the the Passion of the Christ, the Mel Gibson film. And a lot of people said, "Oh, it's the more it's the more civilized and humane movie because it was a, literally a word for word movie adaptation of the Gospel of John, and uh, it was not you know bloody and gory and and horrible and un- impossible to watch." Uh, and so a lot of people really really kind of slathered their love on it. Now the same people have finally put together the financing to do the Gospel of Mark. Now, if you are if you are in any way schooled in in biblical uh in, in the in the biblical gospels you know the gospel of mark is the shortest one and it is the one that uh at least matthew and luke are considered to have been based on it is uh, very very uh threadbare it's easy to adapt into a movie it's not a particularly good movie um but it's okay it's fine in the canon of jesus movies it'll it'll have its place and it's you know it's it's done well enough that uh, it 'll have a you know kind of a little bit of a shelf life but uh unless you know unless this is real unless you really 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 feel like the Gospel of John needs a companion film uh, if you're if you 're just a really kind of a, a closet theologian i, I or if you, or it's not otherwise it 's not going to be your thing
0: or it's for parents who realize that if they want to teach their children about the gospels. And all they want to do is stare at a screen because they're 13 years old. Yeah, You put the movie on. And there you go. Like, like sure. s- stealth learning.
1: Sure. Um, my pick of the week, i got to be honest, Charles Solomon is really going to hate it that I do this. But I loved Sing. My daughter loved Sing. She loved The Singing Monkey. It's the best thing ever.
0: You loved it because your daughter loved I so
1: l- no, it. No, everyone loved this movie. It was really fun. Um, the uh, This is out in a 4K version. We got the Blu-ray and the 4K. Uh, and the uh, the four k is gorgeous. it is absolutely gorgeous it, i I would even say it 's essential to see this in four k because it 's not a really great piece of animation it 's a very very simple animation. This is from the illumination people who work with universal illumination of course does all the uh, the despicable me movies and the the minions and all that kind of stuff so it 's sort of in the same vein you're you 're not watching it because it 's great animation you 're watching it because it 's really fun and well written and it is there's nothing. There's no chase scenes here. This is a very unusual animated film in the sense that it's basically about a singing competition. Uh, you know, you've got this porcupine who uh, is down on his luck, and he's you know he's a he's a theater impresario, and so he puts on a singing competition as a way of trying to you know drum up uh, some some support for his his aging decrepit theater. And through a weird mistake, he winds up offering more for the prize money than he can possibly afford, and. Enter all of these different, in, you know, all these different animals that all have. I mean, the whole—it's a world of animals, like in uh, Zootopia.
0: So it's a documentary.
1: All these different animals who all need the money and they all want to sort of liberate themselves from their dull lives, and it's wonderful. It is absolutely wonderful, especially the pig, voiced by Reese Witherspoon, just a wonderful, wonderful job. Uh, the you know, trying to he has like a million little piglet kids, and the, and the gorilla who is trying to have a singing career, even though he comes from a family of criminals. It's great. It's absolutely terrific. I loved everything about this, and uh, I just think it's fun for parents, for kids, uh, everybody. Sing is amazing, the best thing that Illumination has ever done. Special edition, 4K, uh, lots of mini-movies on here, behind-the-scenes stuff, uh, character profiles. It's great. There's just nothing wrong with this. You You have to own this.
0: I, I, you know what? I, I, I passed on it. I feel like I didn't want to see it. Oh, it's so much fun! Plus, all those, all those, uh, all those animated films screen like at ten a.m.
1: It's perfect for me, man. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, that is you. That is that is golden hour. And uh, then, just to sort of wrap things up, we've got uh, "Always Shine" and "The Love Witch" from Oscilloscope to Blu-rays. Uh, the Love Witch got a shocking amount of love at awards time. Didn't you think so?
0: That, you know what? I saw the trailer. In, our, I, in I, our group? I saw the trailer for The Love Witch, yeah. and I thought, this thing looks like a piece of garbage.
1: Okay. So first of all, let me, let me be clear. The Love Witch uh, is a very low-budget kind of homage to uh, sexploitation and exploitation films from the 60s, early 70s, right? Late 60s, early 70s. It yeah, has that vibe correct. to it. And it is very, very effective in that, in that respect. The uh, I mean, it is, it's a fun film. I don't know why I would give it any awards, but it's a really fun film. Uh, here's the weird thing about this it's uh, written and directed by Anna Biller. I don't know why I have no recollection of Anna Biller, and I graduated high school with her allegedly. I haven't even gone back and looked in the yearbook. I, I, so, I, so how, how do you know you graduated high school because all of because uh, uh, Mark Sanderson told us this, and we're gonna be talking to Mark Sanderson st- soon too because his book. Uh, Is out now.
0: Yes, his great screenwriter. Our friend
1: uh, Mark Sanderson, the screenwriter, uh, high school and film school buddy of mine, uh, he has a book out.
0: Who, by the way, is also in a long distance relationship. You have to ask him about his long distance relationship.
1: We will do that. Definitely do that. He and I have something in common. Yes. So uh, in any case, he said, "Yeah, Annabelle." I'm like, I I don't know who that is. We're in high school. I don't I don't know. So anyway, I have to go look at the yearbook and and see if I can figure out who she is. Anyway, uh, Love Witch is really really fun. So I I do recommend that. And then uh, Always Shine uh, is uh, is also worth checking out. Um, this is uh, basically a road trip movie. Uh, people you know, a couple of people who go from L.A. to Big Sur for a getaway. And uh, they wind up sort of, you know, they, it resurrects their friendship, and uh, the, you know, the 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 uh, the, the whole the, a range of backstories that have to be sort of dealt with. Uh, as far as road trip movies go, as far as character studies go, it's not particularly amazing, but it is uh, it is well done, and it has a it takes a kind of a weird thrillery twist at a certain point that uh, is um, is interesting and noteworthy. Uh, directed by Sophie Takal. And uh, I think it's uh, I think it's uh, it's indicative of something. How would I how would I compare this? It feels a little bit like if you were to do uh, this is going to sound weird, but it's it's a little bit like a cross between um, Thelma and Louise, uh, Ingmar Bergman's Persona, and Strangers on a Train. How does that sound?
0: That sounds terrible.
1: Okay, well, never mind.
0: <laughs> That's the only thing I could think it's, of. It sounds as terrible as the trailer was. Yeah.
1: All right. Lastly, Mark, we got we got some uh, listener mail. Let's hit the listener mail, and then we'll uh, we'll call it quits. Uh, Lauren in Muscoda, Wisconsin, says the PS4 VR Cinema Mode display movies that make it appear you are watching a movie on the big screen or even IMAX size screen. Uh, they make TV screens seem archaic. It feels as though you're watching a movie at an IMAX theater with PlayStation 4 having the ability to play 3D Blu-ray discs. On the PSVR headset, what path do you see VR headsets going when it comes to film watching? Um, Mark, what do VR you think? VR headsets. Yeah. Can, can we just movie watch, Can watching. we just
0: go? Can we just go back and watch movies? Let's just sit in a chair, watch a goddamn movie. That's, that's it.
1: And that's and that's why I don't think they're going to take off because movies are still a social experience. You want to watch movies with people and for the most part, I don't think a family is going to sit around the television set with everybody wearing a VR headset. And I don't think you're going to have your friends over and say, "Oh, come on over. I got a I got a great I got the uh, I got the new uh, you know, uh whatever Peter Jackson movie or the new big uh tentpole Iron Man whatever. I got the new movie. Come on over. Let's all wear headsets and watch it." I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> It's just not going to happen. So I, I By think the it'll way, be li- I for gaming. Yes, I get it.
0: I had dinner with. If Phil You're sitting Klein. alone in
1: your underwear, and you're you're playing with some guy in Austria. Fine.
0: I had dinner with Phil Klein last night. Yeah. TV's Phil Klein. Yes. And he was asking about 3D TVs. He yes. says, "So are 3D TVs dead? Dead. 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 He, he's like, "Should I get a 4K TV? Is anybody going to? Yes. Is there any reason to get a 4K TV? Yes." Uh, but he does not. He does not watch Blu-rays. Yeah. Well. In that case, I was like, well. I mean, will, will anybody be uh, – any But he
1: streams m- in, high, uh, in high def, right? I think he does. I'm sure he's got a Netflix or something. So. He has Netflix. So if, if, does he have a Roku? Because eventually it's going to be 4K streaming.
0: That's true. Well, a alre- th-
1: lot of stuff on Roku is already 4K.
0: Well, I said, look, if, if, if TVs are so cheap nowadays that if you want to future-proof your television yep. for 50 bucks extra, 100 bucks extra, they're so cheap nowadays, just get a 4K TV. And then, by the way, I told Phil the story about how I accidentally maced myself. Uh-huh. Do I have to tell you a story about how I accidentally maced myself?
1: Save it for the next show. Okay, fine. Okay. Uh, and then we got one from Phil. Phil uh, Klein? No, Phil V. And uh, Phil Vodder. And Phil says, uh, I live in, uh, love the show. I live in Iowa. Wish I could attend the uh, the Film Week presentation. This was before the Oscars. Uh, he said, um, uh, please forward this to Tim regarding the baby boom generation. Hey there, Tim. Take heart. I figured a way to put you firmly into the baby boomers and take your mother out of it. The boundaries seem to be blurred at times, but the first definition for me was birth years 1946 to 1964 for the baby boom generation. I am firmly embedded in the middle. So regardless of the boundary definition, I am a baby boomer. Tim and I had a conversation about baby boom, so I wanted to you know, put that out there. And then uh, Joe Nutchella, longtime listener, says... Um, you mentioned that when the Oscars were held on Mondays, they didn't really have any competition. Well, if you recall, when it was broadcast in April, they were usually up against the NCAA men's basketball finals on that night. I remember times in which the presenters would mention the score of the game when they would get up to the podium. And he's right. That was, it was often like the very end of March, occasionally early April, but he was usually you know like the last Monday in March was the the Oscars, and it's true, very much. There was always NCAA stuff going on, as there is right now.
0: Don't care. Although UCLA, uh, UCLA won or lost or they 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 won. They won.
1: They're they're headed for if they win their next one, they're headed for a a matchup with uh, Kentucky, which would be pretty awesome, right? Wow,
0: don't care. Okay, fine. All right,
1: we are done. We'll see you guys next week.